Hey, welcome to the Arfikr podcast. My name is Mikey Mahenna. On today's episode, we feature a conversation with Oud player Hadi Al-Dabak. Hadi's based in New York. He's a musician. He's played with the likes of Yo-Yo Ma. He's also an entrepreneur and thinks about education a lot. This conversation was originally recorded last week. And as always, if you're ever interested in joining these conversations, feel free to go to afikra.com slash RSVP, where you can join the live Zoom calls and ask your own questions. Okay, hope you enjoy it. I am very excited about today's talk. We have uh, Hadi, our very special guest, joining us. This is one of the rare uh, instances where our conversation guest is truly a member of our community and once upon a time gave one of our future presentations, our community presentations in uh, Brooklyn. So Hadi is a Afikada lifer, and this is a really honor to have him on the, uh, the series. Hadi is a musician, an educator, an entrepreneur based in New York City. He has collaborated with prominent figures and institutions in the arts, culture, and education sectors, including Yo-Yo Ma's Silk Road Ensemble, um, Harvard Graduate School of Education, the Kennedy Center, TED, Disney World Imagineering, and others. His piece for Oud and String Quartet um, was played at uh, Farkas Hall in Cambridge, Massachusetts, featuring Yo-Yo Ma on cello. In addition, Hadi has founded several cultural startups, including Grant Hub and Circle World Arts. His TED Talk, discussing the importance of uh, funding the arts and the artists, has gone viral with over 1.25 million views. Hadi, welcome to Africa Conversations. Thank you, Mikey. Thank you for having me. So um, I know, I mean, I know you personally, which is, um, which is a, a, gives me a little bit of a home court advantage, but I want to ask you a question. Um, I know that you did not originally pursue your career as a musician straight out of the bat, straight out of school. Tell the good people, what did you do straight out of school and when did you decide to become a musician? Right. Thank you, Mikey, for having me. Uh, and thank you everyone who joined us today. Uh, Fikra is a great initiative, and um, I've known this group of people for so many years and have been always fascinated by the the great work you've been doing, like connecting people together, bringing amazing perspectives from people from the Arab world, talking about their backgrounds, about their crafts, and this is really uh, commendable. So thank you, Mikey and Afikra team. As, uh, As to my original story when i moved from lebanon to new york uh, about 15 years ago i had already joined the lebanese uh, conservatory of music and at that time i have taken a few old lessons with a private teacher a friend of the family whose name is Estaz Ali Wehbi. I, I took 10 lessons with him i went to the conservatory and all through this time i was always thinking about it as a hobby, as something I really enjoyed doing and something that uh, was uh, playtime for me. And then I moved to the States and I was uh, thinking whether I should bring the Oud with me or not uh, to New York. And then I decided to bring it, came here and through serendipity, I, uh, I got to meet Simon Shaheen who lived one block away from me. The and- Simon Shaheen. He's, he's a, a, the old master, yeah. and um, actually to me and to many old players, we always uh, up, like, hold him very high because he set the bar very high. Yeah. 
Now, my goals wasn't to become a full-time musician. As a matter of fact, I was pursuing my degrees in math and chemistry. I was planning to go to medical school. But uh, after so many uh, encounters with people like Simon Shaheen, like Yo-Yo Ma, uh, teaching at Harvard Graduate School of Education, uh, traveling to China, I, I, it was very obvious to me that my community and my uh, passion was in the world of music and culture. And that okay. it became very easy uh, for me to see that, but it wasn't very easy to make that shift. So uh, it took me a few years before I, I decided to pursue a full-time career in this world. Yeah, okay, I wanna, I wanna zoom, zoom way back still. As somebody who's a musician, but has never studied Arabic music formally, what is the first lesson that you, you sit down with this says, what's your first lesson? Walk me through the first lesson when a Oud player gives their student an Oud. What is the first thing you do? Yeah, well, the first usually is how to hold the instrument. And uh, it's specific more on the instrument than it is on uh, the music and the maqam and the theory. Yeah. So you learn how to hold the instrument. You learn the different elements of it. For example, how many strings it has, the, the pegs and the peg box. How does making sound on this instrument work? You, you plug the string, there's this oscillation, you understand the physics of it, you, you put your finger on the string on the fingerboard and then you shorten the distance or you lengthen it and that's how you produce different frequencies and different sounds or notes, how we call them. Um, after that, you start to learn a piece of music, really. Like that's the best way to do it. You learn, you have a project to complete, which is learning the piece of music. And throughout that journey, you get to learn about the rhythm, about the maqam, about the scale, about the feeling, ornamentations, and so many other stuff. So that's, this is where I want to get to. So um, I grew up playing the classical trumpet, and there is, there is an official book that every single trumpet player around the world learns when they're studying in sort of a Western classical system with all the sort of, uh, all the sort of uh, exercise that every single uh, trumpet player plays. Um, and there is a canon that you're supposed to learn. Um, is there a canon that you're supposed to learn when you are a, a budding road player? Like there is the, the standards, there's the, the real book, so to speak, that you're supposed to just go through? Well, you know, we don't have like one unified uh, approach to learning. Okay. Yeah. It, it does vary from one teacher to another. Um, but we definitely have classics. Like, for example, Talatiya Mahla Nurha, is something that first-year old players uh, start with uh, at the conservatory and many private teachers also teach it. So there are some classics that are familiar to the ear of anyone who wants to start to play the instrument and uh, that are also simple and don't require much uh, technical skill. Are, they, are these typically folk songs or they are, they are compositions by old grades? Right, typically folk songs, typically folk songs, because you have to keep in mind that Arabic music, uh, a huge percentage of the repertoire of Arabic music is vocal. Yeah. And then, of course, throughout, it, it, there always has been the instrumental part, 
but I would say in, in the last hundred years is when we started to witness more and more instrumental pieces in Arabic music. But even, even with that, I would say like it's 90%, 10%, you know, vocal to instrumental. Okay. In your story, in your recap of your life, you were, you were just, you said like, I was in medical school and then, you know, I was hanging out with Yo-Yo Ma. Like how, how did this connection emerge where yeah. all of a sudden you started playing with Yo-Yo Ma? Like how did all that right. happen? Well, I'm, I'm going to give you t the timeline here. Yeah. So I, it started really with uh, Ali Wehbi mm -hmm. and then the conserva conservatory in Lebanon and then Simon Shaheen. Now, when I met Simon Shaheen, I went to his, uh, he had a, a gig in New York City. I went to attend it. And then in the break, I, I, I just tried to talk to him uh, in the green room. And I told him, I came from Lebanon. I want to study with you. I'm going to start telling people that uh, I'm starting to study with you. And he was, he was welcoming and I got to meet him. And he, he was a very important point in my music career because I went to his retreat yeah, in, 20, in 2006, a year after I moved to this country. I went to his retreat. I met uh, Bassam Saba, who recently passed away. And uh, when I came back to New York, Bassam started the New York Arabic Orchestra. I was among the first joiners. In, in the New York Arabic Orchestra, probably a year, a year and a half in, a cellist, an American cellist, Mike Block, joined. And uh, Mike and I formed a friendship bond and I would teach him Arabic music. He would teach me like country songs on, on the Oud, like a Candy Girl and stuff. And then at some point he, he tells me like, listen, I'm involved with the Silk Road Ensemble and there's a new education program called Silk Road Connect where we go to, um, you know, uh, impoverished, schools and we we share with the students about our our culture and, uh, and music culture so i started with the silk road as a teaching artist so we started to go to schools in queens and bronx and and in brooklyn all over and then a year later i i joined the silk road ensemble as a performer and that's when i met yo-yo ma who is one of the coolest down-to-earth people i have met yeah so I just want to talk a little bit more about your your upbringing and sort of your musical ear. When you started playing, uh, oh, did you did you know songs? Were you paying? Uh, were you listening intently to to music before Definitely. actually becoming a? Were you thinking about structure, thinking about about melody? Were, did you know songs inside out? Were you constantly listening? Walk yeah. me through sort of that your palate before you started. Yeah, yeah. Yes, actually, music always has been playing in my in my household. You know, my, yeah. my mother has a, a very um, amicable relationship with the radio, which could be the case for for many people in her generation, because, you know, come to think about it uh, during the civil war in Lebanon, you really depended on the radio to get your information from from outside. So uh, Fairuz playing in the morning, that was a, a very common thing. I, we used to listen to Marcel Khalifi, Fairuz. Uh, my brothers, especially my brother Amir, uh, he, he was uh, very influential in the type of music we listened to in the house. So yes, to answer your question, I was, very, I was surrounded by music and I was 
when I would listen to Oud and Farid Al-Atrash, especially, and Marcel Khalifi, but I would just uh, uh, feel immersed in that world. I, I would go to places and I would feel so much joy. It, it affected me uh, physically, actually. Like I could feel the, the change of my, of, of my chemical reactions inside my body. And that, that was my first, uh, I would say like the first time I, I fell in love with, uh, with Oud and decided like, okay, I, I want to learn this. When I started to play the oud, I was able to mimic some of these melodies. I was, it wasn't perfect at all, but it was good enough for, to grab the attention of my family and for my father to contact his friend and tell him, listen, this guy has a gift of some sort. Let's see if anything comes out. And that's what happened. Is there a tradition of like learning people's solos the way there is in jazz? Oh yeah, yeah. Once you're uh, advanced, that's what you do. You listen to solos and and you try to mimic. There's a lot of copy. I, as a matter of fact, the tradition is usually um, passed on through like I do, we do, you do. That that is yeah. the education kind of uh, technique. So um, if it's okay with you, do you mind if I play one of these uh, a little bit of one of these tracks so that people can get a sense? So this is uh, cue this up a little bit. Um, this is part of the Global Musicians Workshop. What does that mean, Silk Road's Global Musicians Workshop? What are we yeah. listening to? Yeah. Um, well, before I tell you about the Silk Road Global Musician Workshop, I'm going to tell the attendance about yeah. the Silk Road itself. The Silk Road Ensemble was started in year 2000 by Yo-Yo Ma and friends. And the idea is to try to take the idea of the Silk Road economic route from thousand years, years ago and where different traditions interacted, where, where people traveled from one place to another and there was a lot of exchange and adaptation. So the Silk Road brings musicians from different cultures and traditions and they try to uh, present uh, these different uh, compositions to the world and show different instruments. The Global Musician Workshop was uh, started by my friend Mike Block, the one I mentioned earlier. And the idea of it is to bring people from outside the Silk Road Ensemble to meet Silk Road Ensemble members and to start learning about these different musical traditions. This, uh, this piece right now, Moher, is actually uh, a piece I composed a few years before, but uh, we, there are a bunch of faculty members as well as uh, uh, some participants here. So uh, you see there's the Japanese flute, there's the deaf, there's Can the you hear? Iranian sitar. Can you hear it? Volume.
So, Hadi, I have a question. I'm going to stop for a second. Um, you said you composed this. Um, how how do you communicate these musical ideas to the your collaborators? Are you writing this down? Are you notating it? How, walk me through that process. Yes, it is notated. It is written down. We actually met about uh, 15 or 30 minutes before the performance to, yeah. to practice the piece. Uh, and having the music notated give you this this leverage it, it allows you to learn things faster than yeah. otherwise and you have to keep in mind that in this is modal music that i compose so it's based on maqam it's based on microtonal system so it might be much easier or it is much easier to learn by this violinist who is a very good friend of mine navid kandalusi from iran because they have that tradition but mm -hmm. for people like let's say mike uh, who's uh, who's American or like Kauru Watanabe who's Japanese American it's not that easy there is a structure there you have rehearsal marks you say like okay this is section A this is section B this is section C this is the music sheet let's play this is the tempo let's go through it this is how the microtone will sound like and you do it a few times and then they you hope that you know everyone understand the feel and the mood of this so cool. Okay, um, there'll be more questions, I'm sure, in the chat about this project. I want to move on to the Brooklyn Nomads because this is a project that um, I think ever since I, I since I met you, I've known about this project. But tell me a little bit how uh, Brooklyn Nomads started um, and what is really the conceit of the project. How would you describe the the conceit? Right. I would say in terms of the uh, the, the influence of the Brooklyn Nomads and many of my projects has been my interaction with the Silk Road Ensemble. Because I joined the Silk Road Ensemble when I was 19 years old. And wow. uh, I, I go to this rehearsal and I see the Indian tabla and I see the Spanish uh, gaita and I, and I see, uh, you know, all the Western instruments, but also instruments I've never seen before. The, the balafon from Mali. And uh, I enjoy it so much. So uh, my mind mindset has been shaped in, in a global sense, in a, in a sense that I, I would love to bring these things together. With the Brooklyn Nomads, my friends and I would meet at my house and play in the living room. And at one point we decided, let's just make this official. All right, what are we gonna call it? And the name comes up, we agree on it and we start to play and it's a collective. So you go to one of our performances, one day you see uh, the oud and the, the qanun and the violin. Another day you see the accordion and the Scottish bagpipe. So we, we love to bring different instruments together and make something that is not too common and uh, not too uh, expected. Yeah. Okay. I want to play a little bit of um, this. I'm, this is a song that I think a lot of people recognize. Um, I'm going to move uh, a little bit.
سيدي منصور يا بابا يجيك نزور يا بابا سيدي منصور يا بابا يجيك نزور يا بابا I highly recommend people go check this out online. It's really fun, especially shout out to the guitar player who sampled like voices in every single on every single pitch of the keyboard. Yeah, Muhammad Araki, Muhammad Araki. He's he's great. Uh, what a brilliant and check him out. If I if I remember correctly, I feel like there are different voices for the different velocity of the key hit. Yeah, with the guitar, like he, you, he was able to change the the timbre and the sound. You know, as you move on, you should listen to his solo. I highly recommend it. You would yeah, love. Yeah, the it. solo is unbelievable. Yeah, the solo is really, really unbelievable. So I highly recommend just search uh, Circle World Arts uh, Ted Yababa. You'll find it. Um, so the first thing that struck me when I was watching this was I'm curious about the response uh, from people who come to see the shows, but also. The response uh, from, you know, more traditional road players or traditionalists uh, from the music, uh, from the Arabic music world who might be seeing this and might be surprised, like, what is going on here? Uh, yeah. Well, the first part, the response of the people, from what I have seen, it's been um, a very uh, encouraging, uh, it's, uh, they interact with it, they, they get it. Um, and um, it's it's very receptive, I would say. Like I've That's never awesome. been in a situation where where I felt that there wasn't really that uh, appreciation for for the music we are playing. Well, at least maybe <laughs> a few times, but not generally. Uh, in terms of the like people traditionalists, uh, I don't know. Like I I bet that a lot of people would watch this and say like, what's the point? This is not Arabic music. This is like uh, um, something that they don't agree with, which, which is very normal. Like it exists in every, so you cannot uh, expect actually everyone to um, be on the same page. I do, I do remember one time I went to Lebanon and I met with uh, a great musician and, and a traditionalist for sure. And I told him about my piece for Oud and String Quartet. And he was very surprised, mm. like why, uh, and critical of, of that approach. Like why, why do that? You know, what's the point? And we got into a conversation and we just agreed to disagree. Yeah. yeah. I think it's very super, <clears throat> I think it's super, super cool. Um, again, I'm sure there will be more questions in the chat about uh, Brooklyn Nomads. One of the things about your work that surprised me that I didn't know about is that you've had quite some experience um, writing music for the stage. Um, and that that sort of caught me off guard. So there's two projects that I'm aware of, Dead Are My People, as well as 10,000 Balconies. Talk to me a little bit about how these projects came about. Mm -hmm. um, and your approach to writing for writing for theater. Yes. Actually, um, through my field of work, uh, you don't just stick to a community of musicians. You know, you it, it expands to a community of artists of all sorts, of visual yeah. artists, of dancers, um, of theater, obviously, of film and video, etc. 
So it wasn't uh, uh, very weird for me to uh, get an email from a, a dancer friend of mine or a, a theater professional or a playwright asking me to collaborate with them on a, on a project. And that's happened, the Dead Are My People with uh, Noor Theater contacted me. Uh, my friend Ismail Khalidi, he's the playwright. And we, we always been talking about this uh, collaboration uh, and the, uh, the intersection of Arabic music and of blues, which is very evident as a matter of fact, uh, uh, from like what we know about the, the, the uh, um, travel of, of the slaves at the time to, uh, to America and the music and the rich heritage they brought with them. So uh, basically, um, for, for the theater, I started with a few projects before that are my people. I did a project with Noor Theater. Um, it was, uh, it was a, a play by uh, Saadallah Wannous. And um, that was the first involvement I had. And it was kind of, it was a reading and I was just doing some improvisation. Uh, supporting the scene and then it mm -hmm. became like okay we're gonna do a full a full piece so so with that are my people i received the script i read uh, i i would read the script i would contact the director and the playwright and i would try to understand what are we trying to convey here and it's all about the story you know you hear this a lot when you talk with composers uh, like mm -hmm. film composers or theater composers you have to understand that the, uh, the process of creating music for theater, for movies, is very different than uh, creating music without any, uh, like, you know, just uh, yeah. uh, album music or songs or for, for a performance. After I understand the, the, the need, I bring my suggestions to the table and I'd say like, uh, whether it is with music, with instruments or with silence, like this, this is where we're gonna build the music so that uh, when we stop playing the music, it will be the highlight of, of the scene yeah. or, or the other way around. We don't play music. So when we do play it, that is the highlight of the scene. Who, who are some of your influences, do you think? Uh, music uh, no, no 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 in terms of in terms of um scoring in terms of scoring um action essentially is scoring uh, theater was there anyone you were looking to i mean i would imagine that if i was trying to take on this challenge i'd be like okay let me go back and think about how movies are scored properly and what yeah you know, you know i don't i didn't have a a specific influence for theater scoring mm -hmm. i did have influence musically from like you know uh, Ziad al-Rahbani is a huge influence on yeah. me. Um, Marcel Khalifi as well. And I, as a matter of fact, I think that my style of composition is very visual. Like even if you listen to Mohar or if mm -hmm. you listen to Migration from the previous slides, the, the song, the, the pieces you picked, um, there is there is a visual element to them. And in, w the way I compose is also very visual. Like there is a scene in my head and I'm, I'm uh, composing music for that scene. So it wasn't very hard for me to compose music for plays because I was already in that mindset. I, I don't think I, I was intentional about it. It just happened to be uh, my way of composing. Really, really cool. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about uh, another part of your brain and another part of your career, which is sort of like thinking analytically um, about 
the arts industry. Um, and some of your work really, um, I think innovative work around how artists get funded, um, how artists can survive um, and how can the arts ecosystem exist. Um, when I first really had a, our first deep dive conversation probably like five years ago was a project, was it regarding a project that you're working on at the time called Grantspa uh, or Grantpa. Um, and it's not unrelated to this TED talk um, with the title, Why Must Artists Be Poor? Tell me, when did you first start thinking about this um, with sort of a solution-oriented uh, and system-oriented uh, hat on? Yeah, it started in 2015, Mikey, when I got a grant from the Jerome Foundation to work on a project of my own design. And that made me think like, all right, this is a very cool uh, funding opportunity for artists. And I started to talk to my community, to my circle. And then I did uh, a survey like with 200 people replied. And I realized that um, many people would like to learn more about grants, would like to apply, but they don't know about this opportunity or they don't uh, know how to even start with it and uh, they don't have the time and the, the main factor was really intimidation and knowing where to start so um i i started to design this solution where people give me their uh, you know basic information about their discipline, their um, um, citizenship, the residency, knowing where they are. Because when you look at grants, you realize that there are like five or, or seven main questions they ask that could just like sort and filter which grants are available for you. I went through the process myself. It wasn't ideal and optimal at all. And I started to think of ways to make it more optimal and more convenient for the artists. Now, during that uh, process, I realized how much commitment I feel towards the community of artists. I, I feel I belong to that community. I connect with people who have a creative mind, usually more than people who don't. So I started this, uh, people will, will send me some information and then through the list of opportunities I have, I filter it down and I send it to them. They found it uh, very helpful and we wanted to continue to go to the next level, which is still on the table, but there were a, a few obstacles uh, in the way that uh, I wasn't able at the time to uh, to maneuver, but I'm, I'm, I'm learning to do that. And I'm very excited about the next uh, phase where we take this to a larger level. Like we, we had 10,000 people join us in the beta test. And I hope when we launch the full website that will reach many, many uh, more artists around the world. That's great. One of, the, one of my favorite quotes from this, uh, this uh, TED talk of yours um, is the quote about um, the marching band the can you just can you just say that uh that snippet if you if you remember it that statistic which is just re remarkable yeah 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 definitely and uh before i do this just to give a context this TED talk was a part of a ted residency where they accept a few applications from people who have uh, ideas to that are worth spreading so i submitted my idea for for grant power grant pa and when we were preparing for the TED Talk, we had to delve deep into really like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? And then as I, I started to 
dive deeper into this question, I realized that the main reason is I want people who want to become artists to do it without being afraid not to make it because that is a huge obstacle, a, a huge obstacle that happened to me when I decided to do music on a full-time basis. I got some resistance from people I love and who love me because they thought this is going to be a, a career killer. So um, as I was preparing for this, I used this example of the marching band where they get um, what was it? Did they get paid? Uh... No, not that example. It was the size of the National Endowment of the Arts. Oh, 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 yes. The, the size of the National Endowment for the Arts, the budget of the National Endowment for the Arts is less than the budget provided for the marching band in the U.S. Army or something like that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I think you, you said could, that. You could that, find um, the exact quote when you watch the TED Talk. I, yeah, I, I think you like, said... The, right. the, the National Endowment of the Arts, which is the, the biggest sort of arts fund in the States, is, is like half the size of the, of the budget for the marching band in the army, <laughs> which is insane. Um, but this, I think, you know, like there's this overarching theme of your work, which is communities of artists supporting each other, creating ecosystems of, and collectives um, of artists all try and learn from each other and support each other, which I think is a really nice segue into talking about um, talking about Circle World Arts, which is one of the one of your projects right now. Um, tell me, tell the people on the call what is Circle World Arts and what is the point of it? Why does the world need this thing? Mm -hmm. um, and you know, yeah, walk me through it. Circle World Arts is an education platform where you could go and learn about different traditions uh, from around the world, whether these traditions are in music or dance or theater or visual arts or even food and film and video. We started this project in 2017, a little bit before that. Uh, we traveled to China and we were really doing this interaction and exchange of traditions and culture uh, very tangibly. So we decided after coming back that we should establish this and we should think with a vision of connecting people from around the world with different musical and artistic traditions. After the COVID happened, we had to move online because up till that point, all of our workshops have been physical. We do like five days workshops, three days workshop, one day workshop. People come and learn and immerse themselves in the tradition. Since COVID, we, we launched our online uh, virtual workshops with uh, the support of LAU, the Lebanese American University in New York. They've been very supportive uh, of us doing this. And uh, so far we've done over 80 workshops. We have uh, more than 1300 people who have joined uh, more than 60 artists from 31 countries. And we helped these artists raise more than $15,000 in income. So cool. Um, so, so, so cool. Okay. There's good, there's questions in the chat. I'm sure there will be more, um, but I'm just keeping an eye on time. So let's do our quick Q and A, and then I'm sure there will be some questions at the end from the audience. Okay. First question. What are you reading or watching right now? I'm reading a book by Ahmed Fuad Najm, Al-A'mal al-Shariya al-Kamila, Ahmed Fuad Najm, the complete uh, uh, poems, a book of Ahmed Fad Najm, who is an Egyptian folk poet. 
free poetry and um, he if people don't know him he wrote a lot of poems that uh, sheikh imam have sung and he is just uh, he's a genius he's a he's a beautiful poet beautiful artist and i'm really enjoying reading that in terms of watching uh, i'm not watching anything uh, really like maybe rick and morty is the main uh, show i'm following <laughs> yeah who's which has also been turned into lyrics for classic arabic songs <laughs> Yeah, 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 definitely. Imagine that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, who would you love to shadow for a day, past or present? Ziad al Rahbani. I would love to shadow him. Uh, his style of arrangement, of composition, of writing lyrics, of writing plays. You know, this guy is so well rounded, and I feel um, I would gain so much from seeing how, how he works, how he approaches uh composition and creating and uh, and making something and sharing something that is true to him i cannot imagine this guy sharing something that he doesn't believe in yeah has your process changed you know you said you started work started really playing seriously at 19. has your process changed um Definitely. over time yes absolutely i mean i I didn't start, I, I wasn't composing at 19, really. I, I was creating stuff and playing around, but I never uh, uh, put this, these creations in, in one piece of music. But um, I always uh, try to learn and improve myself. Uh, my friend and I have this uh, quote, like, uh, you know, born to grow. And we always try to uh, take ourselves to the next level and try to be the best version of ourselves in whatever we do. So same thing with, with music composition and music playing. Um, you know, it, it really, it, it's really about diving in and finding that pearl and bringing it out. It's a process, it's, very, it's a very uh, personal process. Uh, and it becomes more and more valuable when you go deeper within yourself and, and find the, these precious stones and precious vibrations and lyrics and thoughts and ideas and emotions and bring it out and share it with people who might connect with it. Because that's really the epitome of, uh, of artist success is when you have others who could connect with what you have created. That's, that's a beautiful thing in my opinion. Yeah, so cool. Okay. Um, what do people most misunderstand about your work or your line of work? Yes. Um, when I first read this question, I thought like, I, I don't think people misunderstand anything about my work, but maybe it's just to, to, to give this question more weight. Um, it, often, it often comes up that, you know, playing Arabic music is about preserving the heritage. And uh, my response to that usually is, I, I, I'm not driven by preserving the heritage. It is a consequence, but I'm not driven by it. And there are some people who dedicate their, their lives to uh, that particular uh, heritage or, or style of playing. Uh, to me, I don't, I don't have that passion or that drive. Uh, I'm more driven by creating stuff that are, are true to me, stuff that uh, I enjoy listening to after or, or, or uh, observing after and stuff that bring a community together. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, a really, really powerful answer. Because like music, art is not fragile. And so like if, if we just focus on the fragility of it, 
you don't you don't you don't make anything authentic you're just like focused you're you're playing out of fear um okay whose work do you admire or are inspired by Again, uh, I'll say Ziad uh, al-Rahbani, Marcel Khalifi, I started to revisit his music. And by the way, you know, a, a realization I had recently is, <clears throat> which is, this is very trivial, but like listening to music today is very different than listening to music when, you know, when, when you are younger. Um, a lot of the songs that I used to listen to as a kid and that, uh, really made me passionate about Arabic music. When I re-listen to it today, it, it has a, a very different uh, meaning to me. It's still very powerful. Like with Marcel Khalifi, when I listen to his music and I listen to his approach of storytelling and arrangement, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. Like, I'm, I'm studying his approach to telling stories with the orchestration and instrumentation and, and all of that. Um, Balik Hamdi, also a great composer. I find him to be a genius uh, in Arabic music. Um, in, in visual arts, there is a, a great uh, artist, uh, uh, Pavel Kusinski. And uh, I am also inspired by, by visual arts. There are like many paintings when I look at, they, they, can, they just bring up, out new ideas for me and new sounds. So I would, I would uh, stick with those people uh, I mentioned um, in, in poetry and in literature, uh, Nizar Qabbani, uh, Ahmad Fuad Najm now, I'm very inspired by, by, by his lyrics and so on, yeah. Cool, okay, great. Um, our first question comes from Mariam. Mariam? Hello. Thank you for this nice talk, Hedy, and thank you, Mikey. Yeah. Uh, so my first question was, uh, actually, I'm, I'm, I used to play violin. It's been a bit that I, I just stopped because of work, let's say, and studies. But uh, what I noticed, because my sister also plays road, so what I noticed is that switching from violin to road is easier than the inverse process, is it true? Do you confirm? Yeah, I don't play violin, so I'm not the best person to answer that question. Uh, but I would say that like for me, when I play buzuk, for example, if you're mm -hmm. familiar with that instrument, it's yes. easy for me because, or even guitar, because like we are, we are used to holding the instrument in a particular way. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, yeah. horizontal uh, plane. A violin has a, a very different, uh, twist of the of the wrist, right? So I, exactly. I, I I would like to think that it will be um, more easy to adapt, I guess, uh, to the oud if you're a violinist than the other way around. Just because it's it's a little bit more uh, awkward position for the violin than it is for the oud. But yes. I, uh, you should ask uh, someone like I guess uh, Simon Shaheen who plays both instruments. <laughs> Okay, you Thanks, can be the intermediate to ask. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll okay. try to connect you, sure. <laughs> yes, okay. I had a second question. Um, just um, concerning the uh, any um, coming uh, virtual projects or ideas of collaborations because of COVID, of course, there are a lot of, uh, we see that there are a lot of virtual uh, 
concerts or play, let's say um, uh, songs that are played like this. Yes. So do you have any? That's a good question. Um, we did a few virtual performances, but uh, we haven't done those, uh, I guess, uh, shows where there's like, you know, uh, different musicians coming up on the screen. And we have, I haven't yes. done that yet, no. I, I am working on a music project uh, to be recorded, hopefully in, in, in three months, I would say. Um, and that project is about like the music that appeared in the movies and plays of uh, Gawar. Uh, oh, cool. Gawar. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, we're, we're, we have finished a few steps and we, we have a few more steps to, 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 to go. Okay, great. That's amazing. Oh, under what sort of umbrella is that project? Is that a Brooklyn Nomads project or? Good question. It's either under my name as Hadi Elderback or under the Brooklyn Nomads. It's to be decided and finalized. Cool. Do you need the female voices? I, I would probably definitely need that. <laughs> probably definitely. Yes. Okay. Well, if any, definitely, if any of you are interested in collaborations, please feel free to contact me. Uh, on Instagram, you could follow me on Instagram and send me a private message and I'll get back to you. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank Have you, a nice Amin. evening. Uh, thanks, Mariam. Okay, Amin's up next. Amin. Hi, Hadi. Hi, Mikey. Thanks for the talk. Um, I just wanted to ask for someone living in New York City, what's the best way to uh, start learning the Oud? Um, are there organizations or teachers you can recommend here? Um, Yes. Well, there used to be Alwan for the Arts. I don't know if you are familiar with it. They used to have... I've uh, heard of them. Yes, they used to have like uh, music lessons, whether it is on the Oud or on percussion, uh, Arabic percussion. Uh, but I don't think they're, they're in action anymore, even before COVID. Um, there are a number of teachers I could, uh, I could recommend to you. So feel free to contact me and I will, I will uh, share that, that with you. Sure. What's the best way to contact you? Instagram. It's on the screen right now. Yes, just yes. add the elder back and you'll find me. Cool. Um, okay. I mean, thanks a lot. That was great. Um, thanks. Now we have Jenna. Hi, Hadi. Hi, Mikey. Hi, Jenna. Keefe. Thank God. How are you? Good. Good. Good, I miss you guys. Um, I wanted to ask, since I missed the show so much, uh, any news on the Brooklyn Nomads album that you can share? Yes, uh, the, the, the COVID has definitely slowed us down and uh, we're hoping to re record the Brooklyn Nomads album with the uh, songs we do at our shows within the next six months. Uh, many of the musicians we are that are in our band are all over the world right now. So it does depend on many logistical elements. Um, thanks, Jenna. Okay, so our last question, I think, is going to come from Meg. Hey, Abby. Hey, Meg. How's it going? <laughs> good, good. Um, I was just wondering where you see yourself creatively in like 10 years, five or 10 years, something like that. Kind of a vague question. But... I love it. That's a good question. Um, Where do I see myself creatively in 10 years? 
I see myself more and more in tune with my with my inner self. Uh, I see myself uh, in a more flowing state where I just understand this uh, this process of diving deep, knowing the areas where I should look for the, those pearls I mentioned earlier. Um, I see myself with uh, a lot of the music I have now on my phone and on my laptop out there because that's one one of the things that uh, uh, I still feel I want to get to, which is the, the sharing element on, mm-hmm. a, on a large scale. I share it in performances and house concerts, but I want to take it to another level. Mm. Great. Thank you. You're welcome. Great. I have, I have two more questions, one related to what you just said, and then one which is our final questions about um, next uh, conversation guests. So the, the penultimate question is, I'm curious, what is the ideal venue or vehicle for your, your music? Do you like the idea of live performance and have the music sort of be ephemeral and just like vanish like stardust? Do you like it recorded and captured as this final product and that's the way it sounds referred to the album? Do you like it written down? Like, how do you like your I music? I guess all of the above, Mikey, all yeah. of the above. <laughs> You know, it's uh, it's a very good question because, like, when you record an album, you are taking this one moment of time and capturing that. Um, It could be your best performance. It it could not be your best performance, but at least it is recorded and it's easier to share with the world. So there's always a kind of a trade-off with these processes. Uh, Performing live gives me a lot of uh, communal energy and and we've done with the Brooklyn Nomads many shows where the the energy in that venue is just is so tangible it's it's so vibrant um and to write it down and to share it with people and to to keep it for access for accessibility that's also a very val- valuable thing in my opinion yeah cool okay i'm going to end with our final question which is um if you were to nominate somebody to for us to invite on a future conversation a series event that you would be curious to hear from, who would you nominate? I would nom- nominate the uh, my great friend and uh, beautiful Sud- Sudanese musician Ahmad Araki, who uh, you you mentioned with the guitar solo in Halla Halla Ya Baba. Um, you know Ted Ted performance. He's yeah. he's wonderful, and uh, I'm sure he will bring a beautiful perspective to the community of Africa. Great, that's a perfect a perfect thing to end up on because I love that uh, solo. So I'm going to bring it up now because if only to allow people to hear the genius of his sampling the whole thing, the whole keyboard. So let's listen to this. The genius on the guitar. Hold on, ready? Have your minds ready to be blown.
Patty, I love your face during that solo. You're like, when did he, <laughs> when did he, when did he map all these voices? Yes, no, I loved it. That was my face during rehearsal and my face now is just, it's fascinating. It's really great, Mikey, to play with people you have a bond with and people who, who, who bring things out from within. It's very, very, uh, it's a privilege. Uh, people like uh, Muhammad Araki, like Navid Kandalusi, like my brother Muhammad and Tamir on Qanun. These are wonderful musicians and I can't wait to play with them live again. Um, this was really, really fantastic. Hadi, I love having you on. Um, and thanks so much for being part of Afikra for so many years. And thank you, everybody, on the call. I listed two links in the chat. One is a single question feedback form to let us know how we're doing. Give us any feedback. If you want to reach out to me one-on-one, -on -one, you can leave your email on that. And then two, please consider becoming one of our monthly sponsors, or monthly supporters, rather. Um, the only way we can keep on doing this uh, is if people like you who love this work uh, support and keep it going. So please consider being a monthly supporter. I put the link in the chat uh, as well. And with that, I will see you all um, next time. We have another event in two days. Bye, everybody. This was fun. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. We have new episodes coming every single week. Make sure you follow us on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. You can find us at afikra.com for information about all upcoming events. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks a lot. See you next time and stay curious.